Economic news on SAFM. Facts and figures you can count on. And we join now in studio by research analyst Fundi Swankuta. But let's start with the Brexit talks that resumed yesterday. Uh, David Davies expressing concern about slow progress. Uh, but what else came out of that? Yes, so the British negotiators met yesterday with EU negotiators in Brussels for another round of Brexit talks and negotiations since it formally opened in June. And these Brexit negotiations start again with both sides trying to find common ground, but not really quite finding it. And it's proving quite difficult. So the two-year Brexit clock was triggered last year in March by Article 50 and is going so quickly. Um, Prime Minister May's cabinet has been deeply divided over Brexit and what to do, what's the approach, what's the next step. And at this point, the Labour Party has said that it wants Britain to stay in the EU for up to four years after it leaves the bloc and possibly even longer. And And if this proposal materializes... Um, business leaders will be incredibly happy with this as they fear that the government's plan to leave the EU in 2019 will cause catastrophic damage or economic damage um, across the British economy. So this transition period, they say, will allow both sides, the EU side and the UK side, to adapt through the process. And it's not clear whether EU officials will actually agree and welcome this proposal. And some are saying that really the UK just wants the best of both worlds. They want to have their cake and eat it. So pro-Brexit conservatives who really want to see um, the UK leave the EU are opposing this long transition because they're saying you're actually going back on what the people decided on with the referendum and that it means that for several more years the UK is going to be open to EU immigration, so immigrants coming in to work in the UK, and also to the UK paying into that common budget for the EU. And the European Commission insists, and they keep saying that progress needs to be made on the divorce bill, which is the penalty and the settlement which needs to be made for by the UK for leaving the EU. The issue of the EU citizens' rights, so the movement of labor and of people in the UK, And lastly, there needs to be a solution on the Northern Irish border. So all of this needs to be made before they move on to trade. And they haven't even really come to a solution or conclusion as to what is going to happen. And there's speculation now that all these decisions aren't going to really be made until December rather than the October, which they had initially planned. So October is a key date in the timeline of the British um, negotiation calendar because on the 9th of October, the plan is that they need to have a breakthrough on the separation terms, these key terms on the divorce bill, the EU citizenship and the movement of people and the Irish border and nothing has really been made and this needs to be solidified before they move on to negotiating the trade deal. So basically this plan that they have with the calendar is looking quite ambitious at the moment. So given the slow progress, we're probably going to see these decisions only being made in December, which is becoming more of a realistic target than this October. And what's going to happen is that failure to meet this time frame is going to lead to more uncertainty. And as we know what happens, more uncertainty, which means it ripples throughout the economy and wreaks havoc in the economy. And ultimately, it's going to affect the exchange rate. In short, it's a mess. Yes, as per usual, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on. Um, the, the world first for India yes. uh, with the launch of the Diamond FNO trade. Tell us more about that. 
This is such an interesting story. I love it because it really speaks to that people can provide the solutions for themselves. And just like us Africans, we could be the provider for of solutions for our own problems. So the world's first diamond futures exchange began trading yesterday in India, and it's the world's first organized, transparent, regulated derivatives market for diamonds, which enables hedging, pricing, and investment in diamonds. So this is like quite a mouthful that I just rambled on, but <laughs> let's just unpack this. So first of all, the question is, why would you establish a diamond futures exchange? Mm. And this is because, um, just let's start with markets. When you establish a market, there needs to be a willing buyer and a willing seller. So therefore, there needs to be some kind of demand. So in India's case, they are the largest producer of cut and polished diamonds in the world, which is quite interesting because the diamonds come from SA, but anyway. <laughs> and 14 out of every 15 rough diamonds in the world are polished in India. So as I said, they source their gems from De Beers and other direct imports from producing uh, nations around the world. And because of India being the hub of polishing the diamonds, manufacturers and buyers require some kind of financial product that is going to allow them to trade on a transparent basis in terms of pricing. And that's also going to allow them to hedge movement and prices. And when I, when I talk about hedging, what do I mean? So let's say I'm a diamond produce a diamond manufacturer in India and there's a buyer who says I want to buy diamonds from you in six months time but me as a diamond manufacturer I'm afraid that prices are going to fluctuate between now and in six months time or that the price of diamonds is going to go down and I don't want that because that's going to affect my profits mm. so rather I think and I say um, rather I enter into a financial contract and I lock in the price today at which I will sell the diamonds in future. So this is what you call the derivatives market that I initially spoke about. So before it was you would trade and you would hedge this risk of your price movement on what they call over-the-counter. But now you've moved to an exchange which is more organized, it's transparent, and it's regulated, which means that instead of me going directly to the bank to say, can you hedge or um, lock in at this certain price and I don't want to see the fluctuations, why don't I go to a formal marketplace like the exchange, so it's something like the JSE, so that I can decide that I can transact with the formal body. And the advantages of, of going to an exchange would be that it's safer. I'm not going directly to one counterparty, meaning that if that counterparty defaults, where am I going to get my money from? What am I going to do? But if you go to a formal exchange, it, it protects you from that default risk. All the contracts are standardized and you're able to access an entire market instead of one person. So an example I can give of this is, let's say, we buying a car. And you can come buy the car directly from me or you can go out to the dealership and you can buy a car. Mm. And if you go to the dealership, you have access to a wider dealership network. I can go to Joburg. I can go to Cape Town. I can go to Durban to go find a car and have options. Whereas if I go directly to you, I'm only facing you as the one seller. Mm. So it's a really great solution that the Indian market has provided uh, for the diamond marketplace, considering that they are the hub of cut and polished gems. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did, 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 again, you know, worries us as South Africa because uh, it seems everybody else is getting in ahead of us and 
doing things that may render us on the back foot, yes. especially in uh, mining circles. But I'm sure Martin Creamer will talk more about this on Friday as well. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, Fundi Swankuta, see you again tomorrow.